we feel very blessed to be here this morning, and so on behalf of Kenwood Baptist Church, I want to thank Victory Memorial for welcoming us in and showing us this hospitality and allowing us this opportunity to worship together. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this passage, we ask, Lord, that you would cause it to work its way into every nook and cranny of our hearts and convict us where we need to be convicted and give us courage and boldness where we need courage and boldness and make us people who are good stewards of what you have given but who are altogether free from the love of money and who are never tempted to trust it for our salvation. Lord, we don't look to what we have or what we earn or what we can buy to justify us. We look to the Lord Jesus. We look to him in faith, and we pray for your help by the power of the Spirit, and in Jesus' name now, amen. I would invite you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 49, and as you turn there, uh, we, are, we are considering a passage that deals with money, and uh, one person uh, with a sort of a wry uh, tone of voice, voice, said, if you would like to know what the Lord God thinks of money, look at those to whom he gives it. And uh, if we think of people that are maybe prominent in our culture, we can understand what that person had in mind. But the passage that Denny uh, read earlier indicates that there is a, a wise way of living that does result in wealth. And, and that that wise wealth, that godly stewardship is not what we are considering this morning. What we're considering this morning is a, a false, uh, foolish approach to wealth that would rely on money for justification. And this passage will teach us not to do that. So as we look at Psalm 49, let me just quickly overview the teaching of this psalm for us. The, the psalm opens in verses 1 through 4 with a call for everyone to hear this message. There is nobody in the world who is exempt from the temptation to rely on money. There is nobody in the world who is exempt from the biblical wisdom that Psalm 49 gives us in teaching us how to deal with money. So that, that's the first four verses or so. And then having called everyone to listen and announced that he's going to speak wisdom, in verse 5, the psalmist asks, why he should fear when, when wealthy people seek to intimidate him. And then he begins to answer that question, why he shouldn't fear. He, he begins to explain his perspective that makes him fearless. And, and the first part of that explanation is in verse 7, where he says, No man can ransom another. For all their wealth, the wealthy are not able to buy their salvation. They cannot redeem themselves before God. And then, in, in, as a development of that... In verses 10 through 12, he, he meditates on the way that everyone is going to die, the wise and the fool. Uh, ev everyone is going to perish. And then having established that point, in verses 13 through 15, the psalmist asserts, if you look there at verse 15, that God is going to ransom him. And that's really what frees him from the, the temptation to rely on money. It's a knowledge of where his redemption comes from. And then out of that... In, in verses 16 and 17, he, having said 
of himself in verse 5, why should I fear? He now says to his audience, don't fear. Don't fear the wealthy. And then the psalm concludes in verses 18 through 20 with with a, a contemplation of the way that death is final. And the finality of death means that all reliance on money is futile. It will not gain you salvation. So as we now work through this psalm in much more detail, we'll consider the first four verses as wisdom for everybody. And then in verses 5 through 17, we'll consider this message, don't fear the rich who cannot redeem themselves. And then finally in verses 18 through 20, this fact that man in his wealth will not endure. Man in his pomp will not endure. As we, as we approach Psalm 49, I want to say just a word about how this psalm fits in the wider message of the whole book of Psalms. And so if, if you want to turn back to Psalm 42, you might note there that above Psalm 42, you've got the words book 2. And so there's this division. Uh, Psalms 1 through 41 are referred to as book 1, and then there's this division. And every one of these Psalms, Psalms 42 through 49, have this superscription of the sons of Korah. And, and I take this to mean that David didn't write these psalms. So the, uh, many of the other psalms, they'll say, of David. But these psalms indicate that they came from this group of people that were known as the sons of Korah. Uh, these, these were Levites whom David put in charge of the worship of the Lord at the temple. And I think there's a kind of progression of thought as, as you move through these, these sons of Korah psalms that open book 2. So at, at Kenwood, we've been walking through these psalms uh, one after another, and we saw that in Psalms 42 and 43, the psalmist is asking himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? So the psalmist himself is, is, is depressed, and he, he's, he's not happy about the way that things are. And then that extends in Psalm 44 out to the believing community. So it's not just the individual psalmist, it's now everyone lamenting the way that things are. And then things take a turn when we get to Psalm 45, because in Psalm 45, you have a psalm that is addressed to the king in Psalm 45.1. And when we looked at that passage together, uh, I I, uh, suggested that that king is the future king from the line of David. So this is is a psalm about the arrival of the hoped-for descendant of David, whom we know as the Lord Jesus. And then Psalm 46 speaks of this city of God. That, da- that the king from the line of David is going to establish. And then Psalms 47 and 48 celebrate uh, the king and the city. And that brings us to Psalm 49, where it's as though now that they, they step back and they say, okay, we were down, but the king came and he established his city, and now we've got a message for all the nations. And the message for all the nations is, don't rely on your money for your salvation. What you need is something that only God can provide. So look with me at Psalm 49, 1 through 4, where we'll see this wisdom for everyone. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says, Hear this, all peoples. And in the word peoples there, he means every people group in the world. Everyone everywhere is summoned to hear the message of this psalm. I take that to mean that everyone everywhere is tempted to do what this psalm urges people not to do. 
The love of money is common to all of our hearts. The, the tendency to rely on money is common to all of our hearts. So everyone needs to hear this. He continues, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Everybody needs to hear this message. And then in verses 3 and 4, he piles up these terms that we're familiar with from Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. He says, my mouth, is, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. And if, you've, if you're familiar with Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, you know that wisdom and meditation and understanding and proverb and riddle, all those terms occur there. And that indicates that what the psalmist is going to give in this passage is, is biblical wisdom intended to create skill for life. So if you want to live well, what you want is, is to contemplate the message of this psalm, to meditate on it in your heart so that you can chew on its deep truth and be shaped by its promises and warnings so that you can understand how God made the world work. Uh, just a note here on verse 3 when he says, the, when he refers to the meditation of my heart, this should recall for us Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3, where the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who doesn't do all these things, but on the law of the Lord he meditates day and night. So this teaching is arising out of the psalmist's meditation on the law of the Lord. And that brings us to verse 5, where we have this message. Don't fear the rich who can't redeem. And again, this, this, this central section of the psalm, uh, verse 5, why should I fear? Verse 16, be not afraid. Uh, and, and, and so what the psalmist is doing here is, is reacting to the way that people tend to respond to wealthy, influential, powerful people. People tend to get intimidated by, by such figures. And uh, the, the, the way that, that wealth works is sort of illustrated by um, uh, something that once happened in, in Bing Crosby's life. He was once asked why he was so unruffled, why he was always so calm in, 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 in all of his dealings. And he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a wad of bills, and he said, this helps. And, and you can hear what he's doing, right? He's saying, my money protects me. My money makes it so that I can be unruffled by the people who may threaten me or who may try to intimidate me. But the psalmist, the psalmist is saying, why should I fear in times of trouble? And then, and then the implication from the verses that follows, the verses that follow is going to be that, that what would cause the psalmist to fear is that there are wealthy people threatening him. So he says here in verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity, the ESV reads, the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Now, uh, if you're looking at another translation, perhaps um, the, the New American Standard or, or another, there, there might be a reference to uh, someone being at, uh, at the psalmist's heels. So, so another way to render this would be something like, uh, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity, literally, of my heels, and the idea is that uh, these wicked people, these iniquitous people, they're sniping at the psalmist's heels. They're attacking the psalmist's 
heals. And I think it's unfortunate that the ESV doesn't have the word heals in this translation because there's another passage in the Bible that uses the word heal, doesn't it? And it refers to uh, the seed of the serpent going after the heel of the seed of the woman. And so, so I think the imagery that's employed here is drawn from Genesis 3.15. And the psalmist is essentially saying, the seed of the serpent are going after my heel to bruise them, just as the Lord said they would back in Genesis 3.15. But I'm not going to fear this. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who, who go after my heels surrounds me? And then he tells us about those people in verse 6. He says that these people, they trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. So the psalmist appears to be surrounded by wealthy people who trust in their wealth and boast in their riches. Now, in the psalm, I think these are the bad guys, clearly. But all of our hearts are inclined to this, aren't they? Uh, this week, I, I, I read a prayer that Tim and Kathy Keller wrote, and, and they're responding to this psalm, and, and the Kellers wrote this. They said, Lord, I often catch myself imagining how much greater life would be if I had more. Does that resonate with you? How much better my life would be if I had more. And then they go on. I also quietly boast in my heart when I see myself able to afford certain goods and inhabit certain places. We, we resonate with that, don't we? we, we, we we're we able to do something and we start thinking, oh, this, this makes me look good. Look how capable I am. And they conclude, Lord, save me from such shallowness and foolishness. We do not want to be people who trust in our wealth or who boast of the abundance of of our riches. And what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, why should I be afraid when people like this surround me? And now what he's going to do is make an argument as to why he shouldn't be afraid. He's going to explain his perspective, which frees him, liberates him from the, the temptation to fear uh, the, the impressive, imposing, intimidating, wealthy. So he begins in verse seven with the most foundational truth he says here truly no man can ransom another what, what he's saying here is that all that wealth in which the wicked trust all that wealth cannot redeem their souls and and if we contemplate this if we contemplate why it is that as he says here in verse seven he says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. I think, I think contemplating these things will impress upon us the deep and, and high holiness of the Lord. Because we, we can ask ourselves, how much would it cost to pay for the defilement of God's pure, pristine creation? How much would it pay to, to set God's perfect holiness right? I think the answer to those questions, how much would it take to set these things right, can be provided to us by how long the punishment lasts. Hell will last forever for those who do not receive God's mercy, which indicates that this is an infinite 
amount of repayment that is required. The psalmist is saying that no ransom price can be paid for God. He he continues here in verse 7. He says, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. And then in verse 8, for the ransom of their life is costly. He's speaking of an, an, an infinite payment that would need to be made and can never suffice. The ransom can never suffice. You will never be able to pile up enough money to pay off the Lord for the offense that we have all done to him by our sin. And so if, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, what we have for you first is bad news. The bad news is that nothing that you rely on other than Jesus will ever make you right before God. Nothing that you look to will ever justify you before God. And so if you're an unbeliever here and you're tempted to think something like this, who is this guy saying these things to me? Does he know how much money I, am, I have? Does he know how important I am? Does he know how educated I am? What we say to you in response is the word of God says none of those things is going to stand you righteous before God. You should give up all hope of on your own earning a right standing before the Lord. It will not happen. The ransom of their life is costly, verse 8. It can never suffice. And then here's the goal. Here's what you would try to be achieving if you could ransom your life before God in verse 9. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. In other words, what they're trying to buy through the redemption of their lives, they're trying to buy everlasting life and escape from hell. And the psalmist is saying it can't be done. So this is why the psalmist doesn't fear the wealthy wicked. He doesn't fear them because they can't redeem themselves. And and it's going to become evident he's confident that God will redeem him. What we need so that we won't be intimidated at work by wealthy people who might try to bully us into submission, so that we won't be intimidated by wealthy uh, factions in society who might try to uh, push us toward their agenda, to get on board with their program. What we need is for these souls to sink down into our lives so that we respond to the bullies, the intimidators, with, with a response like that. Why should I fear? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Your money can't stand you right before God. And what that, this this perspective, what it declares is, God has made me right before him. Now in verses 10 through 12, the psalmist explains that everyone dies. So he says here in verse 10, for he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must die perish and leave their wealth to others. The fool and the stupid alike must perish. Everybody, wise, fool, everybody dies, leaves their wealth to others. One, one uh, person trying to escape the, the message of this text said, said this, I believe in reincarnation, so I've left all my money to myself. It's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work. Everybody dies, and when they die, the money goes to other hands. What Tim Keller writes is true. Only God can give you things of value that death cannot touch 
but enhance. You think about that. Earlier, Andrew read that passage from Luke 12, where, where there was a reference made to those who are rich toward God. If you're rich toward God, death enhances your riches. Only God can give you that kind of wealth. In, in verse 11, there, there's, there's a, a, a difference in the way the translations render this. Um, the, the New American Standard renders this along the lines of their inner thought is that their homes are forever. Um, the, the ESV renders it, their graves are their homes forever. And, and it's, it's just a difference um, in how they interpret um, a, a Hebrew word that looks almost exactly the same. So it's, but, but either way, what the psalmist is saying is, on the one hand, the wicked are saying, uh, this would be the NAS rendering, their inner thought is that their homes are forever. I'm going to live forever in this glorious place that I've constructed for myself. So, uh, but by the ESV rendering, uh, it's saying, no, your grave is forever. But, but either way, the thrust of the psalm is, what the wicked think is not going to work out for them. The wicked think they're going to enjoy their luxury forever. And the psalmist is saying, no, look at, look at the rest of verse 11. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names, you're going to die. You, you, can, you can build a fabulous palace. You can name the, the territory after yourself. Maybe even like William Penn, Pennsylvania. You can, you can give your name to a city, Washington, D.C., and you will die, and you will face judgment. Verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This word pomp here in verse 12, man in his pomp, it's actually related to the term that was rendered costly back in verse 8. The ransom of their life is costly, Man in his costliness, we might do, we might do it to bring out the connection there. And, and I think it, that what the psalmist is communicating by this connection between these two words is something like this. These people are trying to pile up this wealth to justify themselves. But all that wealth, they will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. If you try to amass an amount of money that will buy God off or that you can look to and say, now I stand righteous before God. The psalmist's response is, you are beastly. You lack understanding. You don't have the, the kind of perceptive capacity that, that is worthy of a human being and you're going to perish like an animal. Verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. So, so these, are, these are the people that surround us, aren't they? All around us, wealthy people think that they have the world by the tail. They think that they are champions of wisdom. They think that they are successful at life. And the proof that they look to is their, their bank statement or, or the size of their home or the quality of their cars or, or what, whatever it is, They're, maybe their clothing. They, they, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, look at how well I am doing. And the psalmist says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. None of that saves them from death. They die, and what happens? The world celebrates these people. Look at, look at the next statement there in verse 13. Yet after them, I think this is indicating after these people perish, which ought to say, that money got them nothing. 
That money did not deliver their lives. They died. And still, people say, they were so boastful. They were magnificent. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. So the world celebrates these people whose lives testify that all they earned was death. The psalmist continues in verse 14 here. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. This reminded me of a statement in, in Psalm 44. You remember these statements that we looked at when we were there? Um, in Psalm 44, um, the psalmist says in verse 11, You have made us like sheep for slaughter. And then down in, in verse 22, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So th there's this, this ironic, strange thing at work in the world, this mysterious paradox at work in the world, where the faithful, the godly, we're like sheep to the slaughter. But that's better than being the wealthy wicked, isn't it? Because the wealthy wicked, they're sheep appointed for Sheol. And the godly enjoy the truth of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. But look at what the wicked get here in verse 14. Death shall be their shepherd. So death is personified here. Death is, is personified as a shepherd with, with a staff. And he's shepherding these people who rely on their wealth to justify them. And he's a cruel master. Now we've just read here in verse 14 a reference to Sheol and to death. And I think that indicates that these next words here in verse 14, the upright shall rule over them in the morning. I think that morning is talking about a morning that comes after death, after Sheol. So I think the morning that the psalmist has in view here is the resurrection morning. The, the dawning of the day of the new creation. And when that day dawns, look at what the verse says there. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. So there's a, there's a bargain, or there's a, there's a calculation that's being made. Do you want to be somebody who relies on your wealth here and has death as your shepherd and shield as your end? Or do you want to be somebody who might be regarded as sheep for the slaughter here, but the Lord is your shepherd, and when the day of the new creation dawns, you're going to reign with King Jesus? And obviously, obviously, there's a... A bargain to be made. There's a calculation to be made. And there's one choice that's better than another. As the psalmist says here in verse 14, he continues, Their form, this is the, the people who rely on money, Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. So, so these people, these are people who formerly had luxurious dwelling places. Back in verse 11. They called lands by their own names, and they will inhabit Sheol until they are consumed at the end of verse 14. There is no redemption for those who rely on money. But if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, I've told you the bad news. Now here comes the good news. Look at verse 15. The psalmist says, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. There is a way for God to ransom souls from the power of Sheol. And then he continues, he says, for he will receive me. Uh, the language that's used in this verse is picking up previous statements from the Old Testament, and it's pointing forward to future things that will be done that will be accomplished by the Lord in the New Testament. 
And so the, the, the Old Testament things that are being picked up, when he says, but God will ransom my soul, that word ransom is the word that is used to describe the way that God redeemed Israel at the exodus from Egypt. And then when he says, uh, he says, God will ransom my soul, he will receive me, that word receive is the same word used to describe the way that the Lord received Enoch. There's a brother here named Enoch this morning. The Lord received Enoch because Enoch walked with God. And I think the psalmist is saying, what happened with Enoch shows that God's power transcends death. And what happened at the Exodus shows that God redeems his people from slavery. And then what we see in the New Testament is that the Lord Jesus comes and he accomplishes the fulfillment of the exodus from Egypt. He, he liberates his people from slavery to sin. And then because of what he accomplished in his death and resurrection on the cross, he promises that he is going to receive his people in the resurrection. And so our message to you, if you're an unbeliever, if you're somebody who doesn't identify as a Christian, our message to you is that one day you are going to stand before the Lord of hosts. And, and if you want to get a picture of what that looks like, you can look at Psalm 50. Yeah, just, just look at Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. One day, the Lord is going to arise, and he is going to judge the earth. And on that day, the people who are going to be ransomed by him are the people who have become convinced the only thing for me to rely on is God himself. And God has spoken in his word and he has clearly stated what is right and what is wrong. And, and so I must turn away from the things that he says are wrong and I must believe what this God has said in the Bible. And I must trust that what he says about Jesus is true. And if you do that, God will transform your life by the power of his Holy Spirit and by the teaching of the scriptures. And on that day when he comes, you'll be with the psalmist. God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. He continues in verse 16, having said in verse 5, why should I fear? And then having explained his perspective, a perspective that he means for us to adopt. So, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention to the political uh, things that are happening, I think we can, we can make this psalm really applicable, can't we? Because there are extremely wealthy people vying for the nomination of both parties. And, and uh, for the nomination for the, um, to be the candidate for president for both the Democrats and, and uh, the Republicans. And these are not um, the two frontrunners. These are not people that we would look at and we'd, we would think, what godly, upstanding, righteous figures. No, these are people who are probably looking to their wealth and, and their standing and their influence to justify themselves. This is probably the basis for their high opinion of themselves. All, and you, you just listen to them for a little while. And, and from one of the candidates, you'll probably hear references to how much money he's made. And, and from the other candidate, uh, there appear to be all kinds of ethical uh, problems that would indicate that these things are indeed the case. And, and what we need is the message of this psalm to come into our souls so that our confidence... And our hope is that the Lord is our shepherd and death is going to shepherd them. So what we want is for them to repent. We want them to repent and trust in Christ so that they can avoid the power 
of Sheol so that they can be redeemed. We want the truths of this passage to be more prominent in our thinking than worldly estimations of what is going on around us. And we want to be able to obey verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich. Be not af- Why would you be afraid when somebody becomes rich? Well, the more money, the more power. The more money, the more influence. The more money, the more resources. The more money, the more they have the ability to control your life. And the psalmist is saying, don't fear it. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. You see what the psalmist is doing here? The psalmist is lifting our perspective off the immediate future and calling us to look to that horizon beyond the chasm that is death. When he dies, he will carry nothing away. There was one rich man who was quoted as saying, hearing a message like this, you can't take it with you, he was told. And he said, if I can't take it, I won't go. That's going to work out about like the reincarnation claim is going to work out. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. And there is no taking it with you. Money cannot redeem, but God can and God does. Now, I think in verse 18, the psalmist is, is uh, addressing uh, this, this sort of personified, wealthy, wicked person. And he says, first he speaks of him, and then he speaks to him, the way the ESV renders it. He says, for though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And, and we understand what he's saying, right? This guy, he lives in luxurious places. He has servants that do his bidding. He has the finest clothing. He has drivers who, who cart him from one place to another. He eats the right food the right way. Uh, he, he, everything in his life is as he would have it to be, and he counts himself blessed. Look how good I have it. Though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And then he addresses this guy. And he says, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself. And, and, and so he's responding to the way that the world says, you've got it made. And then the psalmist says in verse 19, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers. Meaning, he's going to die just like all his fathers have died. His soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Contrast that. They'll never again see light. Contrast that with verse 9, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. They're trying with all their wealth to avoid seeing the pit, but what's going to be the outcome is they're never going to see light. You can also contrast that with the way that the upright, the upright back in verse 14, are going to rule when the morning dawns. There will be a dawn. There will be a new day for those who rely on the Lord. But those who trust money will never again see light. And then the psalmist concludes in verse 20 with a restatement of verse 12. Man in his pomp, again, going back to verse 8, the ransom of their life is costly. Man in his costliness, man with all this this pile of cash that that he brought together to try to buy the Lord off, man in his costliness, yet without understanding. And this is picking up, Verse 3, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. The psalmist is saying, if you don't embrace 
the teaching that I have given you in this psalm, that only God can ransom people's souls. Man in his costliness, yet without understanding, without this wisdom, without this proverbial teaching, is like the beasts that perish. If you remain without the understanding of Psalm 49, your end will be worthy of an uncomprehending animal. And that that may seem rude to you for me to say that to you. I would contend it's actually a loving thing for me to say to you. It's a loving thing for you to to be urged to leave off trusting what will not save you and to begin to trust the only thing that will satisfy you deeply and truly in this life And the only thing that will ensure that when that day comes, you will reign with the living Christ. So this psalm, Psalm 49, it's a lot like the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which also teach the vanity of wealth. And again, the language of redemption that's used in this psalm is language that recalls the exodus from Egypt and points forward to what we're about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Because what's happening in the Lord's Supper... Uh, when, when Jesus instituted this celebration of what he accomplished, he was actually, he was celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples. And, and it's as though he took up that bread, that unleavened bread, that formerly symbolized a hasty departure from Egypt. You know, they, they had to flee in haste. They couldn't allow the leaven to work through the bread. And so they ate unleavened bread. And Jesus is essentially saying to his disciples, this is not about the exodus from Egypt anymore. This that we're about to partake of is my body. That's what it now symbolizes. And my body is broken on your behalf, for you. So when you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of what I have accomplished. And then he took up this cup, which formerly symbolized this this ransom, the redemption of, of Israel at the Exodus. And he said, this cup is not about the Old Covenant. This is elaborating, filling in the gaps of what he's saying. It's not about the Old Covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So drink it in remembrance of me. This is what we're celebrating. This is is what brings us here to worship. This redemption, this ransom that God has accomplished in Christ. The seed of the woman, spoken of in Genesis 3.15, when the Lord said uh, to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between, between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed, And uh, he is going to bruise your head and you are going to bruise his heel. The seed of the woman has conquered over those who sought to bruise his heel. Making it so that all of us who follow in his footsteps can say with the psalmist, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those at my heels surrounds me? This is our hope. Jesus is the foundation of of the resurrection, new creation hope for all of God's people. And as we read, Jesus also taught the vanity of trusting in wealth, even as he proved that he himself is in every way worthy of our confidence. Let's pray together. Father, would you make us fearless? Would you make us people who have the perspective of this psalm, people who don't get ruffled when the wicked wealthy make their boasts? And Lord, would you free us from that that creeping tendency 
to think that because of what we've acquired or because of what we've amassed, we're somehow better than anyone else. Lord, make us those whose minds are filled with you. Make us those whose thoughts are always of the fact that we're going to die and stand before you and cause that, we ask, to inform everything that we say and do and our every reaction to what happens around us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.